0: Eric Mugendi, editor at pesacheck.org. Welcome back to the African Tech Roundup. This must be some kind of record. Three three visits. I don't know if anyone else has been on the show as, as often as you. Are.
1: I'm like three for three. That must be something, yeah.
0: This is awesome. And also, you are in South Africa. And, and welcome to Johannesburg, bro. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us what you're in town for.
1: So I'm here for a bunch of conferences. There's the Global Investigative Journalists Conference, and then there's a meetup of African fact checkers being done by Africa Check. And then after that, I'm going to Cape Town for the media in Daba by Code for Africa and the Global Editors Summit.
0: I mean, there was at least one or two of those things I would have loved to attend, but can't because of other appointments including the annual african angel investor summit yeah again welcome man love that love that you're in the room and um and really the reason you're back and back so soon because we we don't typically like get people back as quickly as as we we've had you back in here but uh for those of you who didn't catch my previous uh conversation with eric um some weeks ago Uh, You probably want to go check that out first. Go head to africantechroundup.com, head to the Quick Tech Chats playlist, and then just scroll through, um, you know, I don't know, seven or eight odd interviews down, and you'll find the conversation I had with Eric. It was, I believe, on the eve of of, uh, the initial election that saw uh, President Kenyatta uh, brought back into power. That, of course... Other things ensued, including legal action to sort of contest that. And then another election happened. And the reason I interviewed you before the election was because I wanted you to have an untainted take on the election. And more importantly, the role of fake news on that election. Then we waited for the result to be declared before we spoke to you again. Uh, And now we're in this interesting situation where it feels like we've lived a year in, in political terms, um, just watching you guys, you know, live through all the political twists and turns as a country. I forgot to mention that Eric, of course, is based in Nairobi. He's a Kenyan national. Like, give me the, the short version, literally like three or four lines, what you make of this whole thing to date. Like, what are your sentiments? Don't try and evaluate it. What are your sentiments? What are you feeling right now in like four or five lines?
1: I'd say... We're all tired because honestly, the amount of energy that we've expended as a country on all of this is just like we could have done so much more, but this is what we chose, and it's honestly disappointing. But we just have to take it as it is.
0: So, I promised as I was sitting up for this interview that I wouldn't wear him out, you know, trying to unpack the. Uh, the ins and outs of that situation. I'm going to leave that to my big bro, Larry Mador, to do that on NTV. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll leave it to him and, and others to to sort of unpack that. I can continue to unpack that. Uh, what I want to talk to you about is now, with the benefit of hindsight, what do you make of the role of what some consider the landmark contributing factor that technology or its use have. Played in what is now two elections that had played out
1: over less than sort of three or four months. I think, first of all, the the role of technology as an a, a connector of the electorate and the politicians it became really apparent because a lot of people, including the president, were actually using social media to engage with voters, and then they were having AMAs and they were having a bunch of other things where. They would literally take questions from social media and then answer them live. And then another thing is people have become a lot more jaded because it's easier now to find people who have like a similar opinion as you and then you just hive yourselves off into a corner and then just engage in this echo chamber and then just literally cut out everyone else who has like a dissenting opinion. So there's been an opening of sorts of the political um dialogue space and then there's also been like a a, a, a shrinking so it's like these two counterintuitive forces because you try to make sense of it all and the the thing that becomes most apparent is that um a lot of times the the stuff that we see on social media it uh it's gone through a bunch of filters it's gone through a bunch of of, of different um like uh, people with confirmation biases. So by the time it gets to you, it's gone through like literally five or six people. So by the time it gets to you and it's in a form that you really un- want to understand, want to unpack, it's like way too entrenched. So you might try to come in and uh, understand all of it because we actually had a, a fact-checking, like an election fact-checking exercise that we did with the uh, election observers group and uh, one of the things that we were doing was we went into social media and we dug up a bunch of posts and we tried to check whether or not they were uh, true or false. And a lot of times we found that the the false posts tended to have like a lot more retweets, a lot more engagement. The, the, the posts that were like debunking the lies or coming in to correct any of the wrongs, they tended to have like very little interaction. So the first thing you mentioned um – sounds like what
0: a lot of people credit Obama for doing in terms of like, you know, within the US context, in terms of harnessing technology and in this case, even in his case, certainly social media and its use, uh, using that to almost democratize or open up the d- discussions and, and, and public dialogue around political matters and, and polls, etc., Give me a sense of how that's been really good for, for Kenya. Because I imagine, you know, they are mu- they obviously rubs, but it sounds to me like politicians are realizing that this can't be ignored. They have to think about different ways of reaching people. They have to be attuned to all the different ways we're now, con- you know, Kenyans now consume content. They need to be aware of how this content isn't limited to just Kenya's being consumed abroad and how that's important in its own way and, um in a way they're thinking about foreign policy even before they become president, you know. <laughs> um and, and how it's just important period in terms of just smart uh, smart uh, campaigning. But I, I sense that there are positive things that as a as an electorate or you know as a country that Kenya would have benefited from this becoming a trend or becoming part of Kenyan culture, political culture.
1: I think the the biggest value in this is the way it was engaging like two of the biggest uh, factors in the Kenyan economy. There's the young people, the ones who are looking for jobs, the ones who are working, the ones who just started out, and then they're looking for a a political message that they can relate with, and uh, they're looking for a way to engage with the people who want to be their leaders. And then social media has also come in to allow people in the diaspora to engage with their politicians as well, like people who wouldn't otherwise have a chance to like come to a political rally and then talk to their leaders face to face or engage with them like in at a personal level. So, as a tool for engaging those two groups of people, social media has been really uh, useful and really interesting because we find that a lot of like groups on social media have actually formed around these these uh, these causes and these types of. Um, individual uh, efforts because yeah, like, forms of activism in it yeah sure because that way you as an individual are given that power to ask a question of your leader in a way that you wouldn't otherwise like you're literally engaging with them one-on-one even though like there's that physical distance between the two of you so by giving people a chance to engage with their leaders in this way it's actually um, made the political discourse to be a lot more lively because you can get like an almost instantaneous reaction from the politician you're talking about if you tweet about them on social media. Or if you post something on Facebook, someone somewhere will will find a way to comment on it and then that way a, a discussion is started and then it just goes on and on. So these are opinions that would otherwise be like kept personal or the things that you just walk around in your heart of
0: hearts and so then to the rub that you you mentioned that uh, you know technology and you know social media certainly has has encouraged a, a certain level of insularity um, or has enabled a certain level of insularity an unprecedented level of insularity in some circles that um is has proved problematic where i mean like you say you know things can you can pretty much validate any belief you have i mean you'll find your people and you'll build your village and <laughs> for you, for you that's all there is i mean if if you live there how do we solve this problem and I, and i want to couple this with you know what have you seen since the elections in kenyan's ability to discern that technology or social media platforms have this problem have you observed in your country people this the sense that hey hang on you know i probably won't get the full picture from everyone i currently follow on social media and i'll probably have to apply some effort to getting a nuanced view or a complete view or even a, a genuine
1: view of what's going on that's like where my my other hat comes in because you've literally just described the work of fact-checking like basically going after the lies and the misinformation that some of these like really insulated groups uh, just exchange and try to pass back and forth and then like coming at them with uh, with the truth and telling them this isn't what actually is happening in this place or this isn't that's uh, the story that you're trying to spread isn't actually true So, by actively debunking some of these myths and some of these lies, you come up with uh, a way to counter some of those really uh, dangerous and and, and almost unproductive narratives. But uh, are Kenyans seeking fact-checkers
0: or fact-checking sources like, say, Pesachek out? Are they taking it upon themselves? Is... Is there now an op- a sort of an understanding within culture that, wait, you can't believe everything you see and that you have to go searching for it or, you know, to paint a fuller picture? Or aren't we
1: there yet? Because I think there's a bigger appreciation of, of fact-checking now because it used to be that uh, a lot of stuff would get forwarded and and sent around on, on WhatsApp and other platforms. And then someone would just say, I just received this and i felt like i I needed to share it so that whole caveat of i didn't originate this content but i am sending it because i believe it's true people are starting to question like people are starting to ask like are you have you actually checked whether or not whatever it is you're sharing is actually legitimate and then we're also seeing some of the engagements that we have are people giving us ideas of the things that we should fact check because like immediately after the October 26th election, one of the things that kept coming up was the voter turnout. How many people actually showed up and voted? And then people kept asking, like, uh, can you guys as Pesacek go and look at the numbers and then tell us what was the actual voter turnout? Because the the Electoral Commission actually refused to discuss turnout until, I think, uh, two or three days after voting was over. And then we were supposed to have this technology in place to make all of this um all this back and forth and all this uh, like um confusion was supposed to have been eliminated by the technology that we had in place but then you look at how people actually engaging with um the the, the political like the aspirants and the people in power right now and then asking them these questions it, it actually shows that there is a certain element of fact-checking that's creeping into the general public, and that's something that we're, we're really fascinated by.
0: And so, I, I, I mean, not to put you on the spot or anything, but is a is time coming when we're going to need fact-checkers for the fact-checkers?
1: I think so, because one of the things that uh, we do as fact-checkers is we actively seek out claims to debunk and then sometimes we look at we look back at it and then we have like new information comes to light that uh, sort of challenges the stuff that we had previously claimed so we don't we're not entirely perfect so there's 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 entire there's a whole space to fact check the fact checkers i believe exists because one of the things that the media was supposed to have uh have in place is a system to check the facts but the fact that they haven't been doing that means a lot of the fact checking we've been doing has been of the media so essentially we've been like preempting this whole checking the fact checkers but uh, on the whole i believe that there is a lot of room for fact checking the people actually questioning and examining some of these allegations and and stories and other such things I know
0: you are quite a few months away
1: now from your previous role as you know the editor of
0: a, a tech publication, um, but give me a sense of whether or not all the recent happenings in uh, political happenings, uh, what is that? What has that done in terms of Kenya's prospects within, say, the emerging tech ecosystem? And, and have you sensed a, a dampening of the spirits, perhaps in the, in the form of a change in attitude from? from foreign interests that might have otherwise come to, to Kenya or Nairobi as a hub?
1: I think, on the whole, the, the tech ecosystem has like borne out the, the worst of, of the political situation, and they've been able to literally just hang on as all these waves keep coming and coming. Because one of the things that um, we've seen a lot of innovation in is in the the political engagement space where you have all these tools that people are developing to engage with the public. And then we're also seeing a lot of interesting projects coming up where, like, solutions are coming up for problems that actually exist, such as, like, public transport and other such things. So the problems that have prompted the the rise of a lot of these tech innovations are still there and they still need to be sold and we're seeing a lot of innovations coming up to solve them so for the most part i think the tech ecosystem has borne out the the worst of it and they're still going to keep innovating and keep finding new ways to do things so i i believe that uh, what this means is we're going to see a lot more investment in the space because as all this innovation becomes more and more mainstream. We're going to see a lot more startups coming up and we're also going to see a lot more innovation in the space. And then we're also seeing a lot of innovation geared towards institutions of higher learning, tapping into new talent, identifying like people with really interesting projects and finding ways to give them wings and and finding ways to just um, get them off the ground. So as far as innovation is concerned, I think now is... A really interesting time, and then the other thing is the government is being the government. They want to to look nice, and they're also showing some interest in the the tech space because a lot of the innovations coming up have touched directly on, like as I said, civic engagement and also giving citizens ways to engage with the the, the leaders. So the government is becoming more and more interested in the space and the relationship between the tech space and the the, the civic space is becoming more and more... We're seeing a lot more linkages in that. So you, you started the interview by saying you, <laughs> you as a
0: Kenyan are exhausted, um, but you ended it uh, on a hopeful note, which I'm glad to hear. And uh, I certainly hope that... Um, the sort of troubling period your country's been through, not least because, you know, Zimbabwe has quite recently gone through um, a troubling period of its own. Uh, I hope we all figure it out. And I hope that these times actually bring out the best in us as Africans. You know I mean? We've got the snack for like turning adversity into amazing things. So (laughs) Uh, here's to you, Kenya, and here's to you, Zimbabwe. And and here's to you, Eric Mugendi of org. man. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me.